Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. Faith is for that which lies on the other side of reason. Faith is what makes life bearable with all its tragedies and ambiguities and sudden startling joys. Madeline Lingle, Walking on Water. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And today I'm joined by my friend and fellow reader, Hunter McClendon. We are inspired in part by the works of Marilyn Robinson, talking about faith books. And you can't see my air quotes, but what does that phrase even mean? And what feelings does it elicit? This is a conversation I am continually having with the people in my life. You can hear another take on faith books in a previous episode we did on From the Front Porch. That's episode number 244. But today we're revisiting the topic. Hey, Hunter. Hello. I'm so excited to talk about this. I am too. I also just had to very quickly say, you were so good at this. And I'm just always amazed every time. I just had to say that because I just, I don't know. Anyway. Thank you. It's a little intimidating. We can see each other. Like we're not in person, but there's a video aspect to this now. And I specifically cannot look at my face because I feel like I do the hand talk thing and very enthusiastic facial expressions. So thank you for bearing with me. Uh, okay, so let's talk a little bit about, I mean, we're inspired by Marilyn Robinson, particularly because her Gilead Quartet has been chosen as an Oprah book club selection, I think last month. And so you and I have been kind of revisiting these books. So I want to talk about that. But while you were reading, you texted me and you were like, hey, can we talk about this? And so I want to know what prompted that text and kind of where you see and hope this conversation goes. Well, you know, I think that um, you and I do talk about this a lot because we both kind of come from, I think, I mean, I think we would, we could say both came from small towns that like, you know, faith is like a major aspect of like life just in general. Like it's very like integrated into this like small town culture in a way, or at least the places that we inhabit. And we're also, we're reading Middlemarch right now too, which um, has a lot of these kind of elements of faith, it feels like. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know, in a way, I guess that like, I've always wanted, I've always wanted to like have these deeper conversations. And I do think we have these deeper conversations, but I guess that I wanted to be able to have it with, with other people to be able to like chime in later and to like have their own just like, I don't know, just a, a greater conversation with everyone and, and us, I guess. Yeah, because we, like you said, you and I are having this conversation fairly frequently. And you and I, I mean, I do think we come from pretty different backgrounds. And yet we do share the same faith worldview. So we're approaching this from a Christian perspective. That's the uh, that's the perspective we both were raised in, more or less. There are obviously different aspects of the Christian faith that maybe you learned versus what I learned or whatever, but we're coming at it from the same place. But I think you and I also like books that are outside of our faith worldview and our faith lens. And yet we still are drawn to these conversations, these books about belief and doubt. And I like having these conversations with you because we definitely approach things from maybe a similar starting point, but we also have different perspectives. And one of the things I love about literature and I love about this podcast and conversations we have at the bookshelf 
is that books have the power to make these conversations, I think, a little bit easier because they're not always easy conversations to have. Um, but I would rather have them. Like I, I would rather, I would rather talk about them, even if they're slightly uncomfortable. And and I, I when I talk with you, I never feel uncomfortable because I feel like um, I hope that we are a safe space for one another. And I hope that this podcast is a safe space for people to listen and chime into. So I like the fact that this is going to be kind of interactive for the listener as well. Absolutely. And, you know, also I, I, something I think is really interesting when it comes to specifically Christian fiction is that Christian fiction and Christian movies and a lot of, you know, and this is not to down the genres, but, but a lot of them don't really, it is made, it's made for a very specific audience. There's, and and it's really just kind of like catering to that. And that's fine. But books like, like, people like Marilyn Robinson are writing for everyone and they're, mm. you know, and they're writing to, to explore the humans. Like, I mean, the, like, you know, uh, Gilead and home and Lila and Jack, these are books that are really like, it's, it's about people who are people of faith, but, and, and that is a major aspect of it, but it's not, it's, but I don't even consider them entirely Christian stories. I really do feel like they are just about people and, and, their relationship with God is, is a major aspect of it. I think so much of this, and I'm having flashbacks to like a college class I took at my Christian college and this argument I got into with a teacher. And maybe I've talked about this on the podcast before. I don't know. Maybe I've shared it with you, but I was a journalism major and my journalism instructor, one of my main instructors had come, she was an adjunct professor. So she had come from Northwestern of all places to Faulkner University, which what a miracle in and of itself. But she was, she and I were arguing about Christian as an adjective. And at the time I was a stubborn, you know, 20 year old, probably a little bit pious, probably a little bit holier than thou, probably a little bit like Dorothea from Middlemarch. And I was insisting that I wanted to be a Christian journalist. And she was kindly pushing back. And she, by the way, was right. She was pushing back that I wanted to be a journalist who was a Christian. And what she meant by that was the Christian adjective, and Madeline Lingle talks about this a lot in Walking on Water, again, specific to the Christian faith, but I think you could apply it to others, that when you turn Christian into an adjective, the art is not always good. Yeah. (laughs) and, And what is a Christian work of art versus a work of art that um, for me and for the Christian faith, uh, that elicits or evokes the incarnation or that brings about light and hope and redemption, the themes that I see in my faith. And so I know now that my professor was absolutely correct. And I was just like a stubborn, holier than thou Christian kid, but I see this play out in, in the art that I consume a lot and I no shade right to the Christian fiction that I definitely grew up consuming. Like I definitely grew up reading and some perhaps evangelical listeners might remember reading like Liz Curtis Higgs, or like I could name authors or Amish fiction for whatever reason, very popular, (laughs) very popular in the Christian fiction world. Um, so I grew up reading those things, I think partly because I still am a slightly prudish reader and I was guaranteed right as a teenager. And my mom was guaranteed that those books were going to be air quote clean. Mm-hmm. But then I revisited Gilead last week and I first read, I, oh gosh, I love that I passed Annie had the wherewithal to like write 
down what year she finished and how she felt. Um, so I'd written in the front of the book that I finished Gilead for the first time in 2009. I have talked about this memory many times. I have a distinct memory of being in a hotel with Jordan. Must have been March because basketball was on the TV. And I absolutely sobbed. And we had not been married for very long. And Jordan, and I do not cry very often. I cry more now than I used to. And Jordan was like, he was desperately checking on me. Like, are you okay? Did somebody die? Like what happened? And of course somebody did die. John Ames died and Mm -hmm. I was devastated. And Gilead deeply moved me. And then I reread it last week and I just was immediately filled with, this is what faithful art looks like to me. Meaning this is brilliantly written. This is about people trying their best, not perfect people, but people trying their best. This is about, and I hesitate to use this word because I think there's some negative connotations now, but this is about virtue. Mm -hmm. And this is about, this is about a family. And this is about friendships that encompass so much of what I want my life to look like. And so much of what, gosh, I want my writing to look like, or I want my reading life to look like. When I talk about art that evokes, in my case, a Christ-like embodiment, this is what I am talking about. Other people, I don't think you have to be a Christian to read these books. And I, I think you're right. I don't think they are explicitly or necessarily Christian. I think I could hand sell this to anybody. But the things these characters are dealing with, the themes they are dealing with, these are the themes of my life. And these are the themes I want to talk to people about. And these are the themes I want to be consumed with. And it is so much better than a Hallmark movie. (laughs) Yeah. So much better. It's true. Well, and I don't, I don't know. Did you, did you read Home? So I read Home immediately. Like I, I looked back and I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, oh, I did read Home in 2010. And then I've started it. I'm about a third of the way through. I think I'm going to finish the whole quartet this year. I have never read Lila or Jack. Okay. So I'm like, I'm currently halfway through Jack now. It's very good. I loved Lila as well. And something I also really appreciate, by the way, is that all four of these books are very different, which the fact that they're literally telling kind of, I mean, it's, 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 even though it's like, it's a, it's in the same time frame, I guess, sort of, but mm-hmm. it's still telling very different stories. And something I really love about Home is that it almost reminded me in some ways of Ghosts at a Watchman, just in how, right? Do, don't you get that? Yes, I'm not. I'm shaking my head desperately. <laughs> yes, yes, because so I... And maybe we should tell people these books, this this Gilead Quartet um, is about this preacher, this minister named John Ames. And it's also about his friend, oh, Broughton. What's his first name? Um, Robert Broughton. Robert Broughton. So they, they are dear friends. One is a Presbyterian minister. One is a Congregationalist minister. And it's set kind of in the plains of Iowa. And it is, the first story is John Ames' letter to his son. And the second book, and you're absolutely right. Like I did not remember how different home reads. Home is set, and they are they're all dealing with the same characters. So think of like Olive Kittredge, or yes. I don't know, even I mean lighter books, but the Mitford series. Like it's all dealing mm-hmm. with the same types of people and same family and, and same friends. But the the way she tells the stories is so different as it and is indicative and pointing to who the characters are. Like she's telling them in the ways those characters are written. But as I was reading home and rereading home, 
I did immediately feel like, because I feel like I am in the minority of people who liked and appreciated Ghost Set a Watchman. I just, and I just stand by it. I, I, I stand by that opinion, but I did think, and I don't know if it's because in home, an adult person is going home, right. Yeah. And is taking care of her dad. And you get that with Scout and Atticus in Ghost Set a Watchman. But that, I love that you said that because yes, I absolutely felt that way rereading this. Well, and they both, you know, they both are kind of addressing the fact that, um, because Robert Boughton, he's, he's very clearly like he's, he, there's something very beautiful about his faith, but also he's a flawed human being. And there mm-hmm. is the, you know, there's discussions cause this is around, I think it's in the 1950s around like there's like, um, civil rights movement discussion happening mm-hmm. in this story. And it's, it, I think that it's really important to when, especially when discussing, um, you know, people face it like that, that we have a lot, we have a lot of like, there's a lot of growing that needs to be done. And like, we have to acknowledge like, some of our greater flaws and how it, it as people. And yeah. I think it really is like addressing like how, you know, just because you're a person of faith does not mean that you know, you're absolved of like your racism, or you're like, absolved, you know, that's right. That's exactly right. These are characters who are coming face to face with, in their terminology, their sins, their yeah. humanity, their flawed nature, their racism, their bigotry. And that's part of the reason I'm drawn to books like this, because I, I want to learn and to do better and to and to acknowledge my own flaws. And so I love reading books. And I think that's one of the reasons Ghost Set a Watchman, some people really did not enjoy it, right? Because they preferred Atticus as this really kind of perfect man like this, mm-hmm. um, which I, which I just find the Atticus in Ghost Set a Watchman to be so much more realistic of yeah. his time and his geography and who he might have been. It doesn't diminish um, maybe some of his better qualities, but it does paint a, I think, a more accurate picture of the kind of man Atticus Finch would have been were he to have been a real person. And I feel the same way about these ministers who are in the Midwest who have um, in their ancestry these deep um, rooted uh, abolitionist movement, like these ancestors who worked in the abolitionist movement. And so I loved learning about that, but I also loved that these characters are not perfect. These are characters that are coming face to face with their own biases. And I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate how Marilyn Robinson handles it, even as a white writer. Well, and I also, it's so funny because I think in a similar way, uh, a book we've talked about a lot that you and I both loved, A Place for Us, uh, you know, it's kind of reconciling with, it's it's different, you know, it, I believe they're Muslim. Mm-hmm. They're Muslim. Yes. And, you know, and something I really loved about that is that, you know, these, especially the father is kind of coming to terms with the fact that, you know, his son is um, dealing with, you know, like with drug abuse and all these things. And he's trying to come to terms with the, this idea of like, you know, his son this whole thing about like where where his where he's going to be spiritually basically like what mm-hmm. his and i and i think also i'm also noticing all of these books are like father son things i i i want to know more about like what this is yeah they're well they're multi-generational because i think for a lot of us and again i think this crosses worldviews and religious um, preferences i think a lot of us if we grew up in a kind of faith or rooted in a belief system that is because of our parents or because of our grandparents or because of who went before us. And so then as a lot of us are growing up and, and reaching adulthood and asking questions and taking things under reconsideration, we by very, our very nature then are butting up against the traditions and the worldviews 
not only that have been passed on to us, but that our parents might still be living and still experiencing. And so one of the reasons, I mean, I still love, and maybe it's time for a reread, but one of the reasons I love a place for us so much is because no, I was not raised in the Muslim faith. I happen to be raised in the Christian faith, but a lot of what these characters are dealing with, I feel like I too have had to deal with difficult questions and difficult answers, difficult conversations with people who are older than me or with people who are coming up behind me. I think if you are rooted in a community of faith, that is very much, or it is often a multi-generational experience. And so I grew up in a church with people who were one step ahead of me and one step behind me just by sheer, you know, age or experience. And the conversations I had with both of those types of people was very different. And you can see that playing out in a place for us. And you're right, it's a father-son story. I also just think of these as familial stories. So I'm thinking about um, Transcendent Kingdom is one of my recent favorite Mm -hmm. faith books. And I think that's why for us, faith books encompass a lot of things. I don't know that Transcendent Kingdom would like be shelved in like a faith (laughs) section. (laughs) Um, But the character Gifty is really dealing with the religion that has been passed down to her from her mother. And Mm -hmm. how does it play a part in her life as she watches her brother deal with his drug addiction and what does that have to do within the career she goes forward into science and neurology and so all of these faith books are also at their root i think probably somewhat dysfunctional family books they're family books um, about families who are grappling with these issues that i know my own family grapples with well, right. And also, you know, like when we think about faith, a lot, at least something that always comes to my mind is community. And, mm-hmm. you know, what is community except for like, you know, a, a larger, like kind of t- in a way it's a family, you know what I mean? It, it is like mm-hmm. his family, family is like this like small community of like, you know, it's like it's mm-hmm. a, and, and then the church family is like mm-hmm. a greater, you know, and I think that every, I think no matter what, what faith you, or you belong to or don't belong to, I think that there's, there, you will find people who are like-minded and you will share these things. And so. You know, it's occurring to me while you're talking, I didn't even include this list on my little or this book on my little list or outline. But I just finished the rom com book, um, The Trouble with Hating You. Mm-hmm. And this was a book we read in our book club. And the main character is Hindu and she lives in Texas. And so it's an, a kind of a story about arranged marriages and all these kind of things. But there is some really interesting stuff about this generational faith. So, and in her case, she happens to be Hindu. And so the religious practices that her family is involved in and the things that she no longer wants to be a part of and why she no longer wants to be a part of them. And so, so much of what she is experiencing, I think you would find in dysfunctional family literature, but instead it's set at a community, a a church, a temple, like these characters having to deal with the issues that I think families face, but I guess on a larger scale that faith communities face. And I I did not even realize until talking to you that that is really technically another faith book, it feels like, where she was really grappling with the traditions of her childhood and the traditions that her parents still chose to be a part of and whether or not she wanted a part of it anymore. And I, I love those. And I, I think about, um, the mothers by Britt Bennett, which is still Mm -hmm. one of my favorite books of the last 10 years and how she specifically is talking about the black experience and the black Christian experience and how the kind of Greek chorus in that book are these church mothers and how vibrant they are and how, 
wise they are and how much influence and impact they have on the main character. And so I think this sense of community and a larger spirit of community certainly play a role in the books about faith that I am drawn to. Well, and something else. So speaking of, you know, like, uh, how Britt Bennett talks about like, you know, the black evangelical experience and the way and what you're talking about with what is the book you said, the rom-com? The Trouble with Hating You. The Trouble with Hating You. You know, I think a lot about how something that I find really fascinating specifically about when we're when you see like um, people of color or women or queer people writing about faith mm-hmm. is that you are immediately coming from a place of it's very complicated, right? Because like a lot of these places have been used to like oppress people in a certain capacity. And so you, or, you know, not, maybe not like, maybe not like the faith that's, you know, like cause, uh, in Gilead, she talks about how faith is not doctrine, right? It's not like, it's not the, mm. these are two separate things about like the organized religion versus, you know, right. We've got to define our terms. Yeah. Right. And so I think a lot about how, you know, it's, there is that complication of like having the association of the people around you interpreting things to like kind of hold you down or to like do these things versus mm-hmm. what your actual faith is like uh, this spiritual connection that you have with the higher power. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's what you, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I think for, yeah, for me and look, I'm a white middle-class woman, but I had my own issues with a church that I grew up in um, really limiting the role women could play, limiting the leadership qualities or traits that a woman could exhibit and feeling like the higher power, the God I believe in and the God I serve um, wouldn't wouldn't act that way at all or wouldn't wouldn't um, think that at all. And so I myself to a very small extent felt myself kind of butting up against that. I'm reminded of one of my favorite memoirs. I think it's one of yours too, Here For It by Eric Thomas. And he covers all kinds of territory, right? I mean, that book is laugh out loud funny about pop culture, but, and I don't know if you remember, but a couple of essays in there, he specifically talks about his faith and his church going experience. And I wept because um, Eric Thomas is a gay black man and how the... The bigotry, I guess, is the best term I can use, or the maybe hate that he experienced or sometimes faced in his faith experience, and how difficult it was for him to hold on to his belief and hold on to his faith when he was being treated in such a way. And I, you know, one minute I'm laughing about like some snarky thing he's saying about a celebrity. And then the next minute I'm weeping on the couch, thinking about the wrongs that have been done in the name of God and the wrongs that have been committed upon his children. And so it's, I love that book. And I know, again, this isn't a book that maybe you might automatically think, oh, this is a faith book. Like, but it is to me, there are a couple of essays in there that are really talking deeply about belief and action and and how our humanness affects our belief system mm-hmm. well and it's so funny too because like listen like like you know i like this this is not like a this is not anyone trying to get on the pedestal trying to like save anybody but i think something that's really interesting is like i think a lot about christian fiction and how like people say the motivation is to is to like is to save people or to do these things or whatever mm-hmm. but i think that the only time i've ever either like had a, had a yearning for to, to like come back to that or to even just like dip my toe in at all has been these people who are really exploring like the, the complications that they've had, these, these, these mixed feelings, mm-hmm. these, you know, just, just the struggles of it and being really honest and also doing it in a way that just feels very like 
of the real world of like the secular world. You know what I mean? Yes. I think there's an authenticity. And I mean, that's a buzzword that I think our generation uses a lot, but I do think we have a desire for the authentic. And I also think we live every day in the world with people who believe differently from us. And I'm not just talking about religion. I'm just talking about in general, we experience people who come at things from a different angle than we do. And so I think as a reader, I want to read about people who are living that experience too. I don't really want to always read about um, people whose faith exists in a vacuum. I want to read about people whose faith is prominent in their lives, but it also maybe is quieter than we Mm -hmm. give it credit for. I I think I'm drawn to characters for whom faith is just this quiet thing that continues to be a part of the breath that they take. And I, I don't know, I think about books like The Dearly Beloved or The Explanation for Everything, which is a great backlist title I had forgotten about until I was sitting down to prep for this conversation. And in those books, and again, going back to Transcendent Kingdom, these are characters who are dealing with belief in science versus belief in a higher power? Can those things be married to one another? Can those things coexist alongside each other? And those are the kinds of conversations I feel like I have in my real everyday life. And I want to read about that. And I know there is a place for like escapist literature. And I know there is a place for books that make you feel safe and warm and cozy. But I feel hugged (laughs) by a book. I feel comforted by a book when I can read and think, oh, there are people who doubt. There are people who struggle. Um, There are people who leave their faith for a bit and then come back to it. Or there are people who maybe never take part in a faith or a belief system, but they're willing to have hard conversations with people who do. I mean, that's, that's what I'm interested in. Well, and it's it's so funny because something I love so much about books like Priest Daddy, which we read and loved together, and The Incendiaries, which we both read and loved together. We read and love yeah. everything together. What do you want? You know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, both of those books are books that are about people who understand the, who, who, who are no longer people of faith, but who understand mm-hmm. There's, there's so, there's so many complicated feelings about it, right? Because they understand the feeling of like, of wanting to be part of that or wanting to be in it and seeing the beauty in certain aspects of it, but also seeing how, if, if wielded with the, you know, with the power of the wrong hands, like that, it can kind of turn really nasty really fast. Yeah, there's a beauty to it, which I think all of the books we've talked about really explore the beauty of faith, but there's also an underbelly, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And an underbelly to certain kinds of theology, bad theology, (laughs) there's an underbelly to these things. And, and so I like books that are willing to explore that. And I think that's part of the reason we liked reading Priest Daddy. And look, there were parts of Priest Daddy that were shocking to me as the prudish, prudish reader that I am. There were things about Priest Daddy that were shocking to me. And yet underneath it all, I felt like this was somebody who understood and still had a respect for faith even at the same time, while perhaps occasionally having a disdain for it, yeah. or at least a critique of it, maybe disdain is the wrong word, but but willing to critique it, but critique it while also acknowledging there are people for whom faith is deeply personal and valuable and um, still willing to to look at it with a critical lens, but also with a bit of a tender one and a loving one. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and also, you know, so we've talked to like, um, I talk about Mary Carr way too often, but (laughs) I, her third memoir lit is part of this part of it. She talks about a lot of things, but a major part of it is her 
journey of um, getting sober through um, be- becoming a Catholic. And something I love, she calls herself a cafeteria Catholic uh, because she's like, she's like, you know, she's like kind of like picking and choosing. She picks and choose. <laughs> yeah. But she says, you know, she, it's so funny because she talks about how, you know, it really did save her life, but that she mm-hmm. is very aware of how harmful the Catholic church mm-hmm. in some ways has been. And so she has, you know, and so that she's like kind of dealing with these two things, right. And like both things can be true. Like it can be a lifesaver to her and it can also have like come from like, a, like a, there can be a system that has like caused a lot of harm. And mm-hmm she does kind of talk a little bit about reconciling with it. And especially later, she's talked a lot with, um, she's talked a lot in interviews about kind of coming to terms with both of those things. And I find that really interesting too. I do too, because I think if you grew up like I did, one of the flaws in Christian fiction or Christian nonfiction was a lack of acknowledgement of the pain that it could cause. And one of the redemptive things that I like about authors who are willing to grapple a little bit is with acknowledging it's both and. And look, I struggle with that in my own faith life and in my own things that I, where I don't know what I fully believe or where I don't fully understand uh, for me what the scriptures say or what I've been taught or what um, I theologically believe. Like, I think I struggle with those things a lot. And I, that's the conversations. Those are the conversations I have with my friends and with people I trust. But I, I really respect a writer or a friend or a person who is willing to say, oh, like my faith is beautiful and it's important to me or the way I grew up is special and powerful and it means something deep to me. But also I know how it can hurt or I know how, how harmful it has the potential to be because I, I do think it has been wielded for both. And I think there's a lot of conversation, at least at least the conversations I most want to be a part of are ones that are willing to say both and, and mm-hmm. where there's a lot of gray. I mean, you know me and you know how um, I am drawn typically toward the middle way <laughs> and uh, towards a little bit of gray rather than black and white. And I think those are my favorite types of faith books. I think I especially find that to be true in faith memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about uh, Walking on Water, obviously, which is a little bit different, but also, and it's got a, this really great title, but uh, the New York Regional Mormon Singles Halloween Dance. This is by Elna Baker, who I first heard on like This American Life. And she wrote this great book about growing up Mormon and, and, into adulthood, um, leaning on and relying on her Mormon faith and what that looked like when she moved to New York City and and, and what a culture culture shock that was. And then I've continued kind of following Elna Baker's stories through This American Life and through some other things that she's written. And ultimately her choosing to leave the Mormon faith and what that looked like for her. I think fiction books do this well too, but there is something about a writer's personal story and experience that I find myself really drawn to and really comforted by, even if the writer and I ultimately reach different conclusions in our own personal faith journeys. I, it's like I've enjoyed walking it with them yeah, because I have taken the same stumbles or I have investigated the same things or I have wept over the same hurts. And it, there's just something about reading a book about somebody's personal experience. Mary Carr, I got to read that book. I've got to read lit. I, I, I know. I know. I, I know <laughs> you would. <laughs> I know. What you, you know what? You read The Liars Club, which I you did. enjoyed. Loved it. Yeah. Loved it. So, you know, and there's yeah. also, there's a, another one, Cherry. Anyway, I won't get into it, but it's very good. 
<laughs> but I love I I as much as and I think you and I are both this way, like as much as I am drawn to literary fiction and I love investigating thing these things under a fictional storytelling um device, mm-hmm. I also really like hearing from the people themselves and oh. hearing from people who have traveled the road before me, who are traveling the road alongside me. There is something really profound, I think, about hearing about somebody's faith through their own voice and in their own telling. Yeah. Well, did you ever read um, Boy Erased? No, I didn't. Uh, did you watch the movie? <laughs> no. Oh, it's okay. There's time. Um, <laughs> it's, but I think that's something that I, I will say that's, you know, cause he goes to like a conversion therapy program. Um, mm-hmm. It's like about this gay man who goes, uh, Gerard Conley, I think his name is, but um, it's about that. And, and he goes to this conversion therapy thing, his parents pay for it. Cause his father is like a pastor or something. And, and the mom kind of agrees to it initially, but it's kind of about her realizing how like how it like they're being tortured is what's happening Mm. and 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 in the name of god and and it's so interesting to watch because his and to read because his mother is very very clearly like so dedicated to being the best possible you know uh christian that she can be and 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 so is he you know and even that's another thing too is that i think a lot about how when you're when your faith begins to conflict with your very identity mm-hmm. it is a very hard thing to process in any capacity like it, it feels almost impossible mm-hmm. and and so i think i don't know and i think it explores that in a lot of ways and i want to see more people do that because i think that it's just really it's interesting and it's and and it's also it's necessary I wondered, because you and I do come to these conversations, we do come to this conversation different, differently. Mm -hmm. And I wondered almost why you are, because you and I, our reading tastes have a pretty significant overlap in terms of Venn diagram. And one of the ways we do overlap, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think is in this kind of faith genre. Yeah. And yet you have every reason to <laughs> to shun these books or to shun faith or to shun conversations about faith. I feel like you have every reason to kind of disregard these. Why do you think you're still drawn to these stories? Gino, it's so funny because um, you know this. I have been, I've been kicked out of a lot of churches, never for the reasons you think. Um, <laughs> it's fine. But, and it's funny because I, you know, and I have like, and I have had a lot of, I've, I've had a lot of conflict with people in the church, but mm. I, I guess, you know, I, okay. I know what it is. You and my granny both are people who I really respect and admire. And I know that both of your motivations for, and, and, and what you, and what you really strive for are based in your faith. And the kind of person I want to be is like, like every time that you and I have a conversation, all I think is I would love to be more like Annie and I know that it's based in, I know it's based in your, and I know that's partly based in you and, and you trying to be like a very good person because of your faith. And I think, oh, wow. Like I, and I don't know. And so I guess that in a way I'm kind of seeing what you're seeing whenever, like when I read books by Marilyn Robinson and stuff, I'm seeing what you're seeing and I'm trying to like incorporate that. Whether, even if it's not necessarily taking this, my faith into consideration entirely, I still think about like what from your faith journey have you taken to become a better person? And so I, I guess that's in a way 
part of it. Okay, well, thanks for making me cry. <laughs> 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 thanks for making me cry. I, I do think, you know, I was texting Jordan when I was rereading Gilead. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew you and I were going to be talking. And But I was texting him and Jordan has never read Gilead, though I think he would love it. I feel about that the way you feel about me reading Lit by Mary Carr, I think. But I, I know he would love it, but I texted it to him. And Jordan knows all the kinds of things I read and I read widely and and I read excellent books, some of which have nothing to do with faith. And yet they mm-hmm. are still utter works of art that I love and I'm happy to get to sell. But the word that he used, and you just used it too, and I, I, I want to kind of explore it more, but I don't know how. But when I texted him a picture of Gilead and I said, oh, look what I'm rereading. And I sent him like a, a snippet of the book. And Jordan said, oh, you're reading something so good. And, and I think what he meant is like in the truest sense of the word, not like, um, God, I don't want to start sounding like an evangelical preacher, but like this, but like the phrase from the new Testament about like filling your heart with whatsoever things are good and pure and trustworthy and worthy of respect. That's like the phrase that goes in my mind. And when I think about the books I love, even if they have nothing to do with faith, books that are pure works of art and they are good and they are worthy to be like in your heart and ingrained in your brain. Like that is what I want to surround myself with. And so there's something about that word good that I just really think when I talk about faith books, that's what I'm drawn to. Even if the faith has nothing to do with mine, uh, mm-hmm. the, the characters in a place for us are dealing with things that I've never had to deal with. Um, also dealing with some things that I do have to deal with. Um, yeah. But their faith looks very different from mine. And yet, oh, at its very heart, that book is good. And so I don't know, I don't know what I mean, even when I'm saying that word, but it was funny to me that it's the same word that Jordan texted me. And it's the same word you just used when talking about your granny or um, it's, it's just this idea of goodness. And I don't know, I, I don't know how quite to unpack that in 2021. Like, what does goodness mean? Because I think that can get messy. But I, but I think that is the word I kind of keep coming back to. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, I've been thinking a lot about Marilyn. Obviously, like this whole thing is kind of framed through Marilyn Robinson in a way because of like what, you know, yes. we've been rereading it. And I think, and I think that's something, right? Is that like, these are people who are clearly trying their best to be good, mm-hmm. especially Jack, who I really love as a character. I think that he is trying so hard to be good, even though, even though he knows that certain aspects of, uh, Jack is is Robert Walton's son, who is like and this, and and home is kind of like a retelling of the prodigal son in a way, and mm. and I think that there's something to be said about somebody who is trying so hard to be good and kind, no matter what. Because the thing is, it's it's impossible to always be good, right? It's impossible to always right. be good and kind, and and so I think that striving for that in every moment, because the thing is, right, like it, this, because we're, it's not just being good and kind, just generally, like it is about like making active decisions to yeah. be good to every person in a way that is good for them. Yes, yes, yes. You That's know? exactly right. Yeah. You know, I, and I, I know we're running short on time, but I did want to mention, we've talked about Middlemarch a little bit. And I think we've talked about, and you and I are like having a slow burn love affair with Middlemarch. Mm-hmm. Like it was not like hot and heavy and fun right. at first. <laughs> it's real tedious. Um, but I think we're getting to the point where we're understanding those characters a little bit more. And I think a lot of those characters, right, are people who are striving to be good mm-hmm. and to be good for other humans. 
And I listen to, and I don't know if you do, but um, I listen to this podcast on occasion called The Bible Binge. I don't listen to it all the time, but I love their series on faith called Faith Adjacent. Mm-hmm. And this last episode was about Jane Austen. And I did not fully realize, and this was super naive of me considering I grew up deeply entrenched in Christian faith. I did not realize that Jane Austen also did. And until I, until I, um, you know, fun fact, went to London a couple years ago. I just love to throw that into conversation um, and realized what a profound impact Jane Austen's faith had on her writing. And now that I'm kind of revisiting those stories and in some cases reading the, these books for the first time, I'm realizing that these characters, even like the flawed ones, and there are some seriously flawed ones, and she makes a lot of clergy deeply flawed, which I find fascinating. But these are characters who ultimately are just trying to be good. And you're absolutely right. It's not like trying to be just generally good. It's trying to work toward good for the betterment of other people. And like, what is good and true for this person or for these characters? And so I am, I was struck by, because we have been reading some of these classics like Middlemarch and I'm Mm -hmm. listening to Sense and Sensibility for the first time, I'm realizing there is this theme of these characters who are trying really hard that I, there's something about that that I really respect and that I desperately want in my own life and that I find a kinship with in my reading life. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. Hunter. Thank you. (laughs) I think I hope people enjoy this episode because really this is just basically me and you having a conversation. (laughs) This is pretty much like, like, this was what we used to do, like, before the pandemic when we'd be sitting at Sunny's Barbecue. Yes, that's exactly right. We might as well have a mic at the table because (laughs) this is exactly right. So um, if you are listening to this, this is slightly different from maybe a typical From the Front Porch episode, but this is, these are the kinds of conversations I love having. And I love having them with you and your generous spirit. And um, thank you for, for talking about this with me. Thank you for having me. From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in South Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at Bookshelf T-Bill, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, www.bookshelfthomasville.com. A full transcript of today's episode can be found at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. Special thanks to Dylan and his team at Studio D Production for sound and editing and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. This week, I'm reading Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead. Hunter, what are you reading? I'm reading Crying in H Mart based on your recommendation and loving it. Yay! Oh, that makes me so happy. If you liked what you heard on today's episode, tell us by leaving a review on iTunes. Or if you're so inclined, support us on Patreon, where you can hear our staff's weekly New Release Tuesday conversations, read full book reviews in our monthly Shelf Life newsletter, follow along as Hunter and I conquer a classic, and receive free media mail shipping on all your online book orders. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We're so grateful for you, and we look forward to meeting back here next week. 